Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the beautiful music. We thank you for the faith that you give us, for the hope that you give us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we dig into this question of faith today, Father, I pray um, that you would move in our hearts. Um, you would show us what a pure faith looks like, a humble faith. Um, you would show us in the life of Jesus, in the life of the centurion um, that we read about in scriptures, uh, something that resonates with who we are, something that resonates deep in our souls. Uh, so Lord, um, just minister to us this morning, wherever we are at, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this isn't Colorado. My wife and I spent the last week in Colorado, um, and it was wonderful. Just going to throw that out there. Uh, we got to go to a pastor and spouse retreat at a place called Wind River Ranch. Uh, it's just south of Estes Park, around 9,100 feet elevation. Uh, but the weather was beautiful. We got to ride horses. And my back still hurts every morning when I wake up because I'm not used to that. Uh, but it was, it was a great time of refreshment. Um, so thanks to Pastor Kurt for being a solo pastor again uh, for a week. And we'll jump right back into things this week too. So yeah, so how can we have faith? That's what we're talking about today. <clears throat> and this is one of those questions that comes out of the Alpha series. So it may not be an approach that we normally take uh, in a sermon. The assumption is most people in this room probably are Christians. Uh, if not, there's something already stirring in your heart that brought you here this morning that would maybe make you ask the question, how can we have faith? But again, this sort of thing is good for us to revisit all the time so that we remember truly what God has spoken to us in his word so that we remember truly what our role is as believers in the kingdom of God. So how can we have faith is a big question. And we exercise faith in many different ways uh, throughout our lives. We just don't normally think of it that way. So recently, my wife and I have been car shopping again. We have a minivan with over 200,000 miles and a door that just really is frustrating. And so we're going to get a newer vehicle. And what we've decided to do uh, through the local dealership here in town is to get an auction vehicle that they then, because we wanted, you know, we had some exact things that we wanted. So we're, we've, we've kind of committed to buy this vehicle without driving the specific vehicle. We haven't seen all the dents and the scratches. We haven't seen what the engine looks like. So we're kind of exercising a certain amount of faith, right? Because we haven't been able to to actually put our trust in that vehicle, put our hands on the steering wheel yet. How can we be sure that this is what we want or this is what we need? Uh, there's other ways that we exercise faith on a daily basis. Kind of like the chair up here that I'm not going to kiss. Um, <laughs> these pews that you're sitting in, right, you had to exercise some amount of faith to lower yourself down and trust that that pew wasn't going to collapse under you this morning, right? And for some of you, you've been exercising faith in these pews more than twice of my lifetime, and that's awesome, and they're still holding you up. For some of you, you probably didn't think about it when you sat down, uh, maybe this is your first time sitting in one, but you exercised faith that that pew was going to hold you up. You actually put your trust in it to lower yourself and sit down. Or perhaps you have put your faith in the lottery, right? How many people here, no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> That's something that's probably a little more disappointing than putting your faith in a church pew, right? It'd be a letdown every single week. Uh, I think I've bought maybe two tickets in my life and I had enough because I didn't win. So I like, the, I like better odds than that. And many, many in this room, uh, myself included, 
would understand that there's some amount of faith that we can put in the scientific method that we all learned growing up in school, that we live in a world, there are natural aspects to this world, um, and we have faith that through our intellect that God gave us, we can actually come to some idea of what truth is in nature, right? These sort of replicable things. Now, some people in our culture put all of their faith in the scientific method. I think it's good for us to put some faith in that, but also know that we don't know everything. We're not going to know everything. That sort of faith says that we actually can know the truth. We can observe the truth. We can experience the truth. So there's all these different ways that we exercise faith, um, whether it's coming to a stop sign and having faith that the other person coming across isn't going to run into you. There's all these ways that, we, that our lives are really built up of faith. Every single piece of our life tends to have some rooting in faith. So that's faith in general. But what we're going to talk about more specifically today is faith in God. Namely, the triune God of the Bible, the historical church. Why, why are we here on a weekly basis? Why are we reading the scriptures? Why are we praying? How can we have faith in God? How can we have faith in God's purpose for our lives? So I want to jump straight to it this morning. Um, I want to say, if you have faith in Christ, it is not a blind faith. Now, one of the biggest negative accusations against Christianity in our culture is that Christians have blind faith, right? Have you heard that before? Blind faith. Like somehow we are forfeiting our lives to an unknowable God based on hearsay or ancient poetry. That's how I've heard it described before. But this is not Christianity, Christianity is very different. If you think that Christianity is just blind faith, I would ask you to reconsider this morning and not think of it that way. Christianity is, is very distinguished in the world religions because it is not blind faith. We are not just asked to believe about somebody who lived and died. We're not just asked to believe that there is a chair. We actually get to know God. We actually get to experience God and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is not blind faith. That is a very personal and a very real and a very vibrant experience that can't be replicated or, or equivalent. There is no equivalent to that in the other world religions. There's a supernatural aspect of Christianity through the Holy Spirit um, that makes it a very different relationship. And this is why so many Christians use the phrase personal relationship. Or they talk about asking Jesus into their hearts, not so much in the Lutheran tradition. But that's why we use this language. Because Jesus can be known and experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is not a blind faith. It is a very eyes-open sort of faith. And in fact, I would say maybe we're blind if we haven't experienced Jesus. So this supernatural relationship with Jesus comes about. And however it comes about in our lives, it's very clear from Scripture that this is a faith that we cannot experience vicariously through somebody else. We can't have faith through our pastor. We can't have faith through our parents. We can't have faith just through the church. 
There's an understanding uh, in, throughout the history of Christianity that whatever faith the king was in, in Europe, for example, it was your faith. Or whatever faith the patriarch of your family was, was your faith. Jesus came for all of us as individuals and for us as a whole. So we can have actual experiential faith with Jesus Christ. And that's the goal, to know Jesus Christ, to have faith personally, because, again, we can't, we can't rely on somebody else's faith to be for us. We need to know Jesus personally. So that's why we're asking this question, how can we have faith? We go straight to the source, Jesus Christ. And scriptures talk a lot about faith. There's lots of stories and lots of examples. Um, and if you've noticed the theme in the lovely music this morning and in the scriptures we read, uh, we're going to recap those scriptures that you heard earlier. Now, normally, not, not normally here yet, but normally I'm going to actually have PowerPoint slides. Uh, so I apologize for not having the scriptures up there, but I will in the future. Um, so we're going to look at Hebrews 11 again, and I'm going to read that to you, and we're going to see what we can learn about faith. So this is Hebrews 11, starting with verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So I think there's three big things we can learn from this scripture about faith. First of all, that faith is a confidence. Um, there are many Christians that I have met throughout my own life, throughout ministry, throughout pastoring, who have very little confidence in God to come through in their lives. But scriptures are telling us that faith comes along with a confidence in Jesus Christ. We can be confident in who Jesus is and in his goodness. Faith is also a, an assurance about what we do not see. And I think that is maybe where the supernatural aspect of faith comes through the Holy Spirit. There are many things that we believe that we trust from scriptures and our own experience of God that we can't explain why we are so confident. We cannot explain why we are so assured outside of that real presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And then we can also learn this last part of the, the scriptures I read about um, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith is an understanding of something that we did not witness personally, right? How many of you were alive when Jesus was crucified on the cross? Right. So we are exercising an amount of faith based on scriptures, the authority of scriptures, the credibility of the Bible that we talked a few weeks back. We are putting faith in something that we did not witness or see or experience firsthand, but we experience now Jesus Christ today through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our faith is, is that God can make something out of nothing. And we look at creation and we say, yeah, God can make something out of nothing, but we also want to look at our own lives and whatever brokenness that we have and whatever wounds that we have and believe that God can make something out of that as well. So faith is a confidence, it is an assurance of the Spirit, and it's an understanding in something that we did not witness and see, right? Does that sound fair? So jump into the First Corinthians Scripture, chapter 2, 1 through 5, and I'm going to read that again for you. And so it was with me, writes Paul, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul here is writing about what faith is. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying that faith is rooted not in my eloquence, not in my ability to create a rational, persuasive argument, but it's in God's power. It's in the Spirit's power. And he also writes that faith is not subject to or dependent upon our wisdom, although much of God's wisdom goes hand in hand with our faith. So those things might go together, but we cannot wisdom our way into a relationship with God. That, that would be our effort. We also cannot, we cannot like rationally argue someone into believing in God, can we? It doesn't work that way. Uh, if we say we won somebody to Christ, uh, that's not really true. Christ won somebody to Christ. Uh, we cannot rationally argue, persuade somebody to have faith because faith in its very self comes from God and God alone. So here's our summary so far. Let's see if you like this definition. So faith is a confident understanding and assurance in God and in God's promises that is rooted in the Spirit of God, not in our own cleverness. Do you like that? Does that work? Faith is a confident understanding and assurance in God and God's promises that is rooted in the Spirit of God, not in our own cleverness. So I think that covers those two scriptures, and now I want to look at the Gospel in Matthew here. Matthew 8, this is the story of the centurion. So when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? That's a valid question, right? Most people would ask Jesus to go in person and heal. But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So what do we learn from this passage? I think this is a powerful demonstration of what faith in Jesus looks like. Coming from not, not a Jew, not a member of the nation of Israel, but coming from a Roman soldier. So this centurion demonstrated faith that seems to make Jesus proud, right? Jesus is kind of surprised. I don't know if Jesus could really be surprised. But his reaction is one that really shines a light on the faith of this individual. And Jesus even gets a jab in at Israel, saying, I haven't found anyone in Israel with this much faith. Here's this Gentile Roman soldier who's helping to oppress Israel, and this guy has faith. So what we learn here 
at least in part, is that faith is about approaching Jesus with any and all needs, including healing, and any and all praise, because this man demonstrates his awe and his belief in Jesus' power. Another thing we can learn is that faith is about believing and counting on Jesus doing way more than you think he can. I think the centurion um, had high hopes in what Jesus was going to do. Most of the people in Jesus that were crowding around him, most of his healings that we read about in scriptures were done in person, right? He actually laid hands on somebody, or somebody touched him, or he prayed for somebody, or he uh, made mud and put it on the blind man's eyes, and he was able to see. Jesus did more than that. He didn't even have to go to the house where the servant was paralyzed to heal him. He did much more than the crowd would have expected him to do. They would have expected him to go in person, and they could see the work of God happen. But Jesus did it differently this time. So our faith is believing in and counting on Jesus to do way more than we think he can with our lives. God's plans for us, his love for us is infinite, and we cannot summarize that in any thoughts, in our mind, in any words. There is so much more in Jesus Christ than what we think there is. Even if we have high hopes, God is, there's always more with Jesus, right? There's always more. Always more grace, always more love, always more compassion. So Jesus demonstrates his ability in, in God, in relationship with the Father, to heal from a distance with no laying on of hands, no special prayer. I think that's a powerful witness. He also lays hands on a lot. He also prays for people a lot in person, and I would encourage the church to do that as well. But he also healed from a distance, and I think that shows a really unique aspect of Jesus. So we've looked at these three scriptures, and we come back to the question, how can we have faith? How can we have faith? Part of the richness of the Lutheran tradition is an emphasis that even our faith is a gift from God. And that's a scriptural thing. If you heard me quote a verse in part up here with the kids, I'm going to do the full thing here. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or the author and perfecter of our faith. So if Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, where does our faith come from? You can yell it out. Where is Jesus? Thank you. This is so important to understand. I, I feel like no matter where we are in the church across the world, we always want to own some part of our salvation, don't we? That's the American way, to, to own your triumphs, to own your success, to own your pr productivity in this country. Jesus isn't like that. We don't, we don't even get to own our own faith because it came from him in the first place. Because faith is not a work that we can do to somehow achieve salvation. Jesus died on the cross because there was no way for us to achieve our own salvation. So Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that doesn't mean that we play no role in our ongoing uh, relationship with God. Every relationship, every healthy relationship is a two-sided relationship, right? There's not a marriage in this room that has withstood the years if only one person was investing in it. Often we feel like 
we let God do all the investing and we don't really do a lot of investing with him. But if we want a vibrant relationship and a vibrant faith, we're going to be doing that together with God. It's just that that faith did not originate with us. So we recognize that we are beloved children of God. We receive faith as a gift through grace. And then we give that faith back to God. Knowing that it is in no way our own concoction. And, and we do this so that we get to participate in God's love and God's mission. So Jesus, who died for our sins, who conquered the grave and invited us into his fold, his kingdom, his family, has already paved the way and given us the gift of faith. And what seems to catch us up, probably, is our inability to recognize the faith. Or our inability to act as if we actually have faith in God. So our lives were not meant to be lived apart from God. Our lives were not meant to be lived with our faith being put in something else or in someone else. It doesn't mean we don't exercise faith in different ways. But God tremendously, tremendously, absolutely, profoundly wants to know you and he wants to be the object of your faith. We have a tremendous opportunity to live a life of faith, a life of assurance, of belief, of hope, and of trust. That God is a God who fulfills promises as he shows over and over and over in the scriptures and through the Old Testament. A God who raises the dead. A God who conquered death through Jesus Christ. And he invites us to be a part of that. That's what our faith is for. We do not ask how we can have faith so that we can get a list of obligations of what we have to do to earn salvation. That's not the way it works. We have faith and we give it back to God so that we get to have life. So that we get to have life abundantly. So how do we have faith? Well, I think we ask the author and perfecter of faith. If we don't have faith in God this morning, I think that's where we start. We have a God who gives wonderful gifts. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him. He wants us to be in relationship with him because that's how he created us to be. So I think we are most poised for faith when we recognize that God is God alone. That there's no other being or thing or person that deserves our faith and affection. That the gospel is truly good news for us. It's not just good news for somebody else. It's good news for you too. We're poised for faith when we have been lovingly invited into God's arms of love and that God loves his children and we get to be a part of his family and we get to experience his love in return. And we're poised from faith. Um, in faith, we are not left in the condition where God finds us. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Faith in Christ is something that transforms us, right? God does not call... He, he loves us exactly the way we are. We are his children. That is enough for God's affection. But he also wants to transform our lives. He wants us to choose life. He wants us to have this role in his loving kingdom. And that's not an obligation. That is something we get to do. We allow faith in Christ to, to permeate and penetrate every cell in our body, the depths of our heart and our souls. 
So when it boils down to it, we have faith because of Jesus, right? We have life only in Jesus Christ. We have grace, we have hope, we have love and fellowship with Jesus. So I urge you today, faith is a gift that we receive. Remember that. Faith is not a to-do list. Faith is a gift that we receive from God. And we just lovingly give it back to God. We look to God for all of those things, all of those uh, trials and sufferings in our lives where we don't have enough to get through. And we also exercise our faith in God when we do have enough in this world to get through. Faith in the good times and in the bad times. And I, and I encourage you to keep asking for more faith. If Jesus is really the author and perfecter of our faith, then it's only in that relationship and that communion with God that we are going to grow, that we are going to be challenged. We want our faith to grow. And God wants our faith to grow. Like I said before, there's always more than we think there is in Jesus Christ. There's more for you. There's more for this congregation. That doesn't mean we're doing a bad job. It means there's always more that we can do to love God, to know God, to experience God on a deeper level. So that's what I urge you to pray for this week. And to live out. Put your trust in the chair and actually sit in it. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and actually rely on him in every single way that life is good and in every single way that life is tough. Rely on God. Jesus is where it comes from. So let's partner with the Spirit's work in our lives and in this church and in our world. Um, and let's try to get other people to understand what faith is like so that they can experience the goodness of God as well. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we do not always live with faith in you. Lord, we tend to compartmentalize our lives and exercise faith in some areas, but not in some others. Lord, we want to give you our whole lives, every piece, every thought, every action, Lord. We ask that you would grow our faith. Or maybe, maybe show us this gift of faith for the first time. Lord, you love us so much. You fight for us so much as we read in your word. And we are blessed to recognize this morning that we have life, through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help that to be where our faith is rooted, where our faith grows, where our faith produces fruit, Lord, in every way. And Lord, would you show us how much love you have for us? Would you show us the more that we can't even comprehend in our own lives right now? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.